Hi, I'm Anthony Sharon, pastor of First Assembly of God of Greater Lansing, better known as GL First. I hope this message connects you to God's Word and His vision for your life. You can find out more about us at glfirst.org. Thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. So these past two weeks, we've been in the parables. And I've been really excited about this. We're focusing on the teachings of Jesus. I mean, I can do parables all day, every day, teach on them. I mean, these are the teachings of Jesus. And that's where it's at. That really is where it's at. I love getting into Paul's letters and getting into John's letters and Peter's, but the teachings of Jesus are absolutely where it's at. So right now, the kids and GL kids, Miss Joy is teaching them about what we believe as an Assemblies of God church and fellowship. So last week, they learned about communion. And on Wednesday, I had a discussion with them about how we do communion here at GL First. They asked a lot of questions, and we ended up talking about how many churches do communion differently than we do. I was surprised. A lot of them knew a lot of different churches. They'd been to their grandparents' church or church with a friend and had seen them do communion differently than how we had done it. So we talked about that and how it looked different. And this is the conclusion that we reached with the children. I love kids. They're so, like, intuitive. Like, you have this discussion with adults, and somebody's got to be right, and somebody's got to be wrong. You do it with kids, and they're like, well, okay, so what do we need for communion? All right, your heart has to be right with God. Check. Number two, you have to remember what Jesus did. Check. You have to look forward to what Jesus is coming back. Check. So if those three things are present, the kids concluded that you were doing communion right. No matter whether you are using a chunk of bread, a cracker, chocolate milk, grape juice, water, um, what did we say, pancakes for communion was a suggestion. Um, I think that's a great suggestion. Um, as long as you have the three things, the essential things, they concluded you are doing communion right. Kids are amazing at the way their hearts and their minds work together. And that's why I love the parables. Because they teach us spiritual truths. They make us think. They get us to understand things that we question or take for granted. And I really, really like getting in getting into them. So a few weeks ago, Pastor Anthony, Pastor AJ, Courtney, and myself were at Michigan District Council. And we went out for dinner because at District Council, there are three purposes for District Council. One is ministry connections. Two is really long business meetings. And three is eating good food with good people. And Pastor AJ, did we eat good Oh, yeah, we ate good. We ate good food. So this year, district council was in Novi. And I used to live in Novi and and pastor in Novi. So food choices automatically became my responsibility. Every time it was time to eat, somebody looked at me and said, well, where should we go eat? And I'm like, I haven't lived here in 10 years. A lot has changed. A lot has changed. But 
if it's still there, I know where to go. So we got in the car, and we drove, and we ended up at a Brazilian steakhouse. Why? Because steak. So has anybody ever been to a Brazilian steakhouse? So you know, uh, you know. So it's a bit obnoxious is the only word, but it's a glorious obnoxiousness. It's not like the two-year-old screaming in your ear obnoxious. It's not that. It's a good obnoxious. So this is how it works. You go in, they seat your party, and you order your drinks. You order sides, you order salads, maybe. Maybe you order a salad. But no, no main dish. You don't order a meal. Instead, they give you a token, like this. One side is green, which means go, right? Green means go, back to preschool. And red means stop. That's when the magic starts happening. Servers appear from nowhere, like everywhere, bringing meat around on skewers, prime rib, filet mignon, sirloin, lamb, chicken, sometimes shrimp. And if you're a carnivore, it's, it's a glorious buffet, and you don't even have to get out of your seat to go get it. It comes to you. And as long as your token is green, it keeps coming. Wave after wave after wave, like, like you don't know what to do. The, the word I can't... Who said hallelujah? That's right. Praise Jesus, hallelujah. The only word that I, I was trying to come up with a way to describe the feeling by the time you got down to like, you know, your 20th piece of, little piece of steak. And the only thing that I could think of was you have meat fatigue. You're, you're tired of chewing. You're, you're tired. Um... You flip it over to red then, and you can finally rest because you've done good work. <laughs> and I'm proud to say that Pastor AJ and I, we outlasted everybody. <laughs> Courtney, Courtney gave up first, then Pastor Anthony, but Pastor AJ and I, we won a couple more rounds. So we didn't get any trophies, just that, you know, that feeling of both happiness and regret when you, when you overeat. Um, it's, I call it buffet belly. And, you know, it was good. It was good because we got to sit down and we got to eat and we got good food. Um, but the parables, we often treat them like side dishes. There's no mistake in it, though. The parables are the meat of the gospel. We like to hear them. A lot of us just like to think of them mostly as stories that have good lessons in them, but they are truth, and they can make us feel full. And the conviction of them makes us want us to flip that token over and yell, stop, because it gets too heavy sometimes. I've never been in a church, I take that back, I've been in two churches now where we've actually done a series on parables straight through because it's a lot for people to handle. 
Has anybody ever done a Bible reading plan where they have you read a psalm a day and a proverb a day and then another scripture? I think that's great. They want you to read the psalm because psalm brings a lot of peace, a lot of reassurance, a lot of understanding into it. And they want you to read a proverb because they want you to have the wisdom. I want to develop a reading plan that adds a parable into that every day. Parable from Jesus every day. I know you're going to end up reading the same parables like four times a year. It's going to be okay. It is going to be all right. Because I think the parables help us keep our course true. They help us keep on track. See, Jesus used parables for a specific reason. He didn't waste time telling us how to do church. I always think that's ironic that everybody's like, well, we need to do church this way because, and I always want to stop and go, because Jesus said to? And they'll go, well, no. I'm like, oh, well, so, because Jesus only told us to do two things as the church. He told us to be baptized in water. And he told us to take communion. The kids just learned that over the last two weeks. Those are the instructions as the church that Jesus gave us. The, how, the what to do's. There's no guidelines. Amy, do you remember when you taught the girls about the uh, tabernacle and all the guidelines for the size and the, the color of the curtains and the height of the rope, right down to the type of wood to use in it? There is no instruction from Jesus in the New Testament on how to physically build a church. There are no instructions on the height of the ceiling the width, the color of the paint, the style of music. There's no instructions. Now, this sounds ridiculous, but I have been in a church where people fought over the brand of toilet paper that was used. There's no instructions. There are no instructions for toilet paper or any other thing that we debate about. I mean, let's, there are minimum expectations of toilet paper. We'll just leave it there. Yes, no questions. But a lot of the things we debate, we debate because they're our preference. We debate because it's a tradition. We debate because it's comfort and we've always been able to lean on it. That stuff is old covenant stuff. That's law-based stuff. Jesus came to establish a new covenant. He wasn't concerned teaching us how to do church. He wanted us to know how to be the church. The parables are new covenant stuff. And that's grace-based stuff. The parables help us as a church stay focused on our primary biblical purpose. And these purposes, we know them. They're covered by the Great Commission to go into all the world, to reach the lost. And the Great Commandment to love God and to love other people as we love ourselves. These commands are tied together. They are both and. 
They're not either or. We don't pick between them. You're not a church that goes into the world but doesn't love people. Doesn't balance out and work. These parables will help us keep focus on end goals to keep us focused on bringing Jesus to people and bringing people to Jesus. You know what Satan wants you to do? Do you know what Satan's primary goal is? To depopulate heaven. To take you and break your relationship or any chance with a connection with God. And the easiest way for him to do that is to get us to forget something very important. And it's this. We, all of us, the entire building here, the entire population outside today and everywhere else in the world, we have all been lost. And we can all be found. Parables are gospel conversations. They're the stories that are centered around Christ, not limited only to salvation, but the full gospel, including restoration, reconciliation, divine healing, and encouragement. The parables have them all. Satan wants you to forget what the parables hold. He wants you to think of them only as stories with really good endings, stories with nice lessons. He wants to reduce them to fairy tale. And to get you to be concerned about things that won't matter in the end. Today, if you have your Bibles with you, if you could turn to Luke chapter 15. So, Jesus, in Luke chapter 15, is talking to people. And I love this about Jesus. He just talks. There's people around. He talks. Um, last night, I got sent to Meyer to get some ice cream. And it was, uh, it was hard. Does anybody else have trouble choosing ice cream? Okay. Not because it's all so good, but just because you know you're getting one and you don't want to get something bad. So I picked out this ice cream. And it was, uh, I picked out Fruity Pebbles ice cream. Who said you? Okay. So, just so you know, it was good. Yes. Did you, have you had it? No. I have a Bible in my hand. Um, it was good, and I enjoyed it. And, but it was funny, because as I was coming out of the ice cream aisle, this gentleman comes up behind me, and he goes, ah, did, did, did you get sent for ice cream too? And he's got, a, he's got a pint of ice cream in his hand. And I said, I did. He goes, oh, what'd you get? And Fruity Pebbles. And I said, I said, my wife wanted birthday cake ice cream, but the only birthday cake ice cream Meyer carries is Purple Cow, and we just had it, and we didn't like it. So I picked this. And I, she likes Fruity Pebbles, so I hope she likes it. And he goes, I got Moose Tracks. And I said, ooh, Moose Tracks is good. And I said, I said, did your wife send you to get ice cream? And he says, no, my 17-year-old son. And I said, oh. And I said, your 17-year-old your son gets to tell you to go get ice cream? And he goes, it's his birthday. I said, fair enough. 
He goes, and he's moving out in like three months. And I was like, all right, okay, that's fair. But we talked, and Jesus kind of offered. I believe that if Jesus would have gone to get ice cream yesterday, he would have talked to every single person going out the door. And by the time he got back to his car, his ice cream would have been melted. But he wouldn't care. So, and I think it's just, we need to start finding ways to have conversations. These gospel conversations that are found in the parables, Jesus is sitting here and he's just talking. And it's, it says in Luke 15, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. That in itself is like a whole sermon. The fact that Jesus is there and he's, he's teaching. And everybody knows he's a great teacher at this point. He's done miracles. They know he has power. They know what he can do. They know he's holy. Yet, the tax collectors and sinners are gathering around him anyway. I don't have tax, well, I don't want tax collectors gathering around me. But I don't have like groups of people who are unchurched or unbelieved just crowding around me to talk to me all the time. Now, I'm not Jesus, but how do, how do I get to that point to be like Jesus where I've got so much love and so much grace for people that everyone I know who knows who I am feels comfortable enough to sit down and talk with me? To not be afraid of what I'm going to say to them, about if I'm going to judge them, about what I'm going to think of them. I've got a few, but they're people I've known for a long time, or they're family. These are complete strangers gathering around Jesus. Tax collectors and sinners are all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And at that moment, I'd be like, well, I believe Jesus was like, stop. We're going to have a talk. All right? All right, Pharisees? When I got back to East Lansing in 2016, it, it, was, it was strange. I came back here, and there were a lot of familiar faces, a lot of new faces. Um, it was really funny, though, because I hadn't been here in like 15 years been a long time. Um, in fact, a, a couple who I grew up around, who I was friends with their daughter, didn't even know I was here for a year and a half. Um, I had been the children's pastor, I'd been on stage, and one day they walked up to me, it was uh, the Good Friday service, and they said, you know, we see you around all the time, and we're so glad you're here at our church, but, but we don't know your name. And I looked at them, and I said, I'm not going to say their names. And I looked at them and I said, you know what? I'm Paul Goddard. And they looked at me and went, huh? Because they hadn't talked to me <laughs> in all that time. But I was here. I came back and I was a mess. I, I, I was suffering from severe depression. Uh, I was dealing with a lot of anger. I was doubting my calling and I was doubting my God. I was a heartbeat away from actually taking a job in Arizona that a friend had offered me to come and run his golf instruction academy. And at that time, it sounded great. 
I've been to Arizona, though, and it's hot. I don't care about dry heat. That's a lie. That's a lie, Casey. Hot is hot. And 105 is hot. Um, Anyway, if it weren't for the gospel conversations that I had with friends, godly men and women who I knew growing up, who had spoke life into me when I needed it, who had just loved me, who didn't, who didn't sit there and go, are you okay? Do you want to talk about it? I was a mess. I was in grief. And they just sat with me sometimes. They were just with me. And we talked. But if not for that, those conversations, if not for that, I would not be here today doing what I am doing. I would be sweating in Arizona. The parables were the very first gospel conversations. Jesus used them to teach his disciples and the crowds that followed him about the kingdom of God here on earth and how they could bring it into being. So today, we're going to be in Luke 15, and I want to take a look at the three lost parables that are there. But first, before we do that, this is important, let's talk about science. Nobody likes this part. So, does anybody know what the law of inertia is? All right, the law of inertia states that objects at rest will stay at rest unless acted upon by an unbalanced force. To achieve inertia, you need a catalyst, something to trigger a movement. There are two definitions for a catalyst. First is a substance that causes or accelerates a chemical reaction without itself being affected. That's the key, without itself being affected. The second thing, something that causes activity between two or more persons or forces without itself being affected. Before you came to know Jesus, You were a rock that didn't move. You were stuck. There had to be a catalyst to get you to go from lost, from sin, to being found, to make that movement. Because an object at rest stays at rest. That catalyst, somebody introduced you to Jesus. It could have been a parent, it could have been a friend, it could have been a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, maybe you found a tract. I don't know, but there was a catalyst that got you to move. The key to that catalyst is that it is not affected. The catalyst stays the same. When Jesus moves your life, Jesus doesn't change, you do. The parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son in Luke 15 give us a catalyst that we need to begin to understand and to maintain the inertia of our mission, which is God's love for all of humanity. So today I want to start with the lost sheep. And we are, that is verses 3 and 7. And we're going to read these as we go. And it says, 
So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So there's three, most of the time when we look at this story, people tell you there's two characters in the story. There's the shepherd, there's the lost sheep. We always forget about the flock. The flock always gets kind of pushed to the side. The flock represents those who have been redeemed. Okay? If you're in this building today and you call Jesus your Savior, if you are watching online and you call Jesus your Savior, congratulations, you're part of the flock. That's why we say family. It sounds so much better than flock. You've chosen to follow the shepherd. And the shepherd, of course, we know is Jesus. And the lost sheep represents sinners. Now, I had trouble writing this part, um, talking about the sheep and the sheep. Because a group of sheep is called sheep. One sheep is called sheep. There's no plural. You just add an S. So it's sheep and sheeps. Shoop is one sheep. Shoop. No, that's not real. I just made that up. Um, so, yeah, if I say shoop, I'm talking about one sheep. Now, sheep are not amazingly smart animals. They don't make plans or strategies, okay? I really think if you grew up watching Looney Tunes, Wiley Coyote should have gone after the sheep, not after the roadrunner, because he would have feasted. They don't get lost intentionally. They don't, because they're not smart enough to get lost intentionally. In fact, there's rarely any further thought on their mind than the next thing that they're going to eat and where it is. Because sheep do four things. They consume, they sleep, they make waste, and they make more sheep. That's the sheep's life. It's really simple. They're not complicated. So what they do is they put their head down and they say, oh, look, at this, look at this grass. And they make a choice. I'm going to eat this grass. And when they pick their head up, it's gone. And they look back down and there's grass over here now. I'm going to eat this. And they keep going that way until all of a sudden they don't know where they are. And they keep going. Uh, I wish I should have pulled the video. but uh, So we watch some funny videos sometimes as a staff. And a few weeks ago, there was one, you remember this one, this one that got posted on Facebook, and it was this video. And it was, at first, you're like, oh, no, the sheep had fallen in a crack in the ground. And you're like, oh, no. And there's a shepherd, and he's trying to get the sheep out. And he does. He frees the sheep. And the sheep is so excited that it runs, and it jumps, and lands right back in the crack. And they have to get it out again. Sheep aren't great at doing things. God, God gave us a free will. You know that? 
he gave us a free will, but that doesn't mean we're going to use it wisely all the time. I don't know about you guys, because I know you're perfect, but I have made dumb choices in my life. This parable, though, it's not about the sheep, really. It's about the shepherd. Here's what we learn about the shepherd in this story. First, all the sheep were his. All of them. They all belonged to him. Not just the ones that are together, but the ones that are out and apart. Number two, he noticed the missing sheep. If you've ever seen a flock of sheep, it's hard to tell them apart. Most of them blend in pretty together. But he knew his sheep was missing. He knew which one was missing. None of them were insignificant or got lost in the crowd. Number three, he went after the sheep. He didn't sit around and wait for it to come to him. No, he's, he's not like me trying to find my dog and I'm shaking the bag of snacks hoping the dog will appear again. He went out and looked for the sheep. Number four, he carried it all the way home. The sheep didn't do anything to save itself. The sheep didn't do anything to rescue itself. And the shepherd, he didn't poke it with a stick and prod it until it got back where it was supposed to be. What does it tell us it did? He picked it up and placed it on his shoulders and carried it home. Number five, finding the sheep brought joy to the shepherd. He celebrates the return of his lost sheep. He throws a party. He tells everybody about it. When something exciting happens, you want to tell someone, right? You can't keep good news to yourself. This for me, this shows up at Christmas time for me when I buy gifts for people. Um, I've had to learn that when you buy a Christmas gift, you need to hold on to it until Christmas. You can't just buy it and give it. And my excitement has transferred to Roland, who buys things now, and he gets a gift for his mother, and he wants to tell her right away what he got her, but not have her open it yet. Because he wants her to open it on Christmas, but he wants to tell her because he's so excited. The parable of the lost sheep shows us what Jesus is willing and did do to rescue the lost. It's a story about me and Jesus. It's a story about you and Jesus. It's a reminder of how we, as the church, should view those who don't know Jesus yet with love, compassion, grace, mercy, and a heart to heal their hurts. Why? Because we have all been lost and we can all be found. The lost coin is in verses 8 and 10, and it says this, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. We had, our, we had our Pinewood Derby three weeks ago, Ben. 
I think, right? Three weeks ago. And we set up the track on a Friday. And so I left my house and on my way here. And I got here. I actually got here about half an hour early. And I go, and my church keys aren't in my car where they normally are. And so I'm like, oh, well, maybe they're, nope, they're nowhere else. So I go back home. Oh, it's, only, it's only 10 minutes, that's fine. I go home, I'm like, they must be hanging on the key thing in the bedroom. They're not. And now I'm, I'm in a panic because I'm the guy who has a key to everything in the church. I don't lose my keys because that's what everybody else does. I, <laughs> I have to hold on to mine. <laughs> And I get, and I'm looking, and I'm looking, and I'm looking, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I have no idea where I put my keys. And I text Ben, and I'm like, I don't know where my keys are. I'm looking for them. I'll be there as soon as I can. And, and, and I hear this noise under the bed. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. What is that? So I, I get there, and I look under the bed. We have, we have a cat. She's really beautiful. She's, her name is Leia. She's all white. And Leia steals my stuff. She is a cat burglar. And she takes my socks, um, she takes my shirts, and she always takes them under the bed and hides them. Leah had knocked my keys off the dresser and dragged them under the bed into her little pile of my things that she keeps under the bed. I tore my house apart looking for those things. And had the cat not moved under the bed, I'd probably still be looking for them. And those are my keys. Jesus is talking about a drachma in this story. It's a Greek coin, and it's worth about a day's wages for some people. If you lose a day's wages, you tend to notice. It has value. So there's a difference in these stories. I love that Jesus told three lost parables. The difference between the coin and the sheep. See, the sheep got lost through its own actions. It wandered off. It got lost. But a coin, a coin doesn't have legs. A coin can't get lost on its own. Can't lose itself. It can't wander off. It was lost because of something someone else did. It could have been carelessness. It could have been an accident. The reason didn't matter. The coin ended up lost. Many people are lost because the actions or inactions of others. Now, we're all ultimately responsible for our own choices, but some people get a little extra push. Sometimes from well-meaning people, there's a reason that we always tell people you need to speak the truth in love. Maybe they grew up in a home and they didn't learn about Jesus. Or maybe they grew up in a home where they were just flat out taught unbiblical principles. Maybe they experienced church hurt. That's a real thing. With a pastor or another Christian was a bad witness to them. It's a very, very real and very common thing that happens. I talk to people all the time who fall into that category, 
That's why the church needs to be a place of healing and reconciliation. And we need to be people of grace at all times. The woman in this story, though, she's just like the shepherd. She takes action. She looks in every corner under the couch. She jumps out. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. She dumps out her junk drawer. She looked everywhere. The value of that coin was her catalyst. And she finds it. That coin has a high value. And so does each person have a high value to God. Jesus is always seeking out those who are lost. See, the sheep is found. The coin is found. We have all been lost, and we can all be found. I think that these stories are the most splendid, marvelous, glorious acts in the history of the universe. Jesus seeks out the lost, and he rejoices that they are found. He's not content that anyone would be separated from God. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Aren't you glad that Jesus is patient with you? I mean, we've all still got And speak for me, I've got a long way to go. We've all got room to grow. The lost son. I'm going to summarize this one for time's sake. This is verses 11 through 32. You can read it at home. This is probably the most well-known parable that Jesus spoke. Um, It is commonly called the parable of the prodigal son. Now, in this story... The son comes to the father, and the father represents God, while his sons represent humanity. Both sons represent humanity. Now, this is what happens, and this is, this, we often miss this. This is a serious, serious conversation. The youngest son comes to his dad and demands his share of the inheritance. He wants it now. His father is not dead. It doesn't sound like his father is even in poor health. He wants his inheritance now. Basically, he's telling his dad, hey dad, guess what? Kind of wish you weren't here right now. Can I have my money? I thought about that last night as I was finishing reviewing this, and I thought, you know what? If Roland had that conversation with me, that probably wouldn't go well. But his father, the father gives him his wish. And the son goes off and he blows his money. We learned something um, at a a seminar a few weeks ago and I'm going to share it with you. Um, So we call him the prodigal son. And I I didn't know this and I love words and I'm ashamed that I didn't know this. Um, He's the prodigal son. Everybody thinks he's the prodigal son. Why? Because he returned. You know what prodigal means? Prodigal means he spent his money or resources freely and recklessly, being wastefully extravagant. He's prodigal because he wasted his money. 
not because he came back. That's what it means. It's how he spent his money that he was given. Now that's something you know too. I was excited. You don't seem excited. Um, so the son, he's broke, he's hungry, and he realizes something. His father's servants have it better than him. They have food, they have shelter, they have clothes that aren't torn to shreds. So in humility, he sets out to return to his father, not as a son, but as a worker and a servant. Upon his return, we look and his father has this, this beautiful response. It's not one of anger, but of joy. His lost son has returned and he's returned alive. The father runs to his son. He runs to his son. If you don't know, in the Middle Eastern cultures, adult men, they don't run. I really look up to them. They don't run. It's considered undignified. So they don't run. But the father runs to his son to greet him, just like God. God lowered himself to our level. Jesus came down and sacrificed himself. The father hugs and kisses him. It's like God showed his love to us by sending his son. The father gives him a new robe, just like God who has cleaned us up and gives us robes of righteousness. The father gives him a ring, just like God makes us part of his royal family. And the father puts sandals on his feet, just like God has fitted you with the shoes of the gospel of peace so we can go out and tell the whole world what Jesus has done for us. The father's reaction to his youngest son, it reminds me of something in Psalms. Psalms 103, 8 through 13 says this, The Lord is merciful and gracious, he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And again, it ends with a party. The sheep was lost, the coin was lost, the son was lost. We have all been lost, we can all be found. But what about the older son? It's an interesting story. See, the older son, when we start out, he seems like he's doing the right thing, right? He's staying home. He worked hard. But here's something. This is another thing I learned while studying, is that in their culture, again, everybody's like, well, why didn't the father go, go looking for their son? It wasn't his job. It was the brother's job. It was the brother's job to go out and look for the younger brother. And he didn't do it. 
He stayed home. He worked. He worked hard for his father. But he didn't fulfill his duties as a son. He'd gotten lost without ever leaving home because he had lost the heart of his father. But the father, the father has a willingness to go. This is an amazing, amazing thing. Because not only did the father go to the younger son, but when the older brother comes back and he's upset about everything that's going on, what's amazing here is that the father goes to him. The father goes to him. He asks him to come and join the family in celebration. But Jesus, Jesus leaves us with a cliffhanger because he's a great storyteller. We don't know what the older brother does. Jesus ends the story right there with a question. All it says is it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead, is alive. He was lost, and he is found. And the story ends there. The older brother made a decision, and we don't know which one. The celebrations that these parables talk about are all about finding the lost. They aren't celebrating anything less than the lost children of God coming home to him. People who were dead in sin, but now alive in Christ. The lost sheep, the youngest son, they left, they wandered off and got lost. They are those who have gotten lost in lifestyles of sin. The coin got lost in the house. Just like so many people today who have been hurt by the church, by others, they get lost at home, intentionally or unintentionally, carelessly ignored or offended. The older son was lost at home. He stayed, obeyed, worked, but forgot what mattered the most to his father, his children. Author Timothy Paul Jones shares a story in his book, Proof, about his adopted daughter in a situation that came up as they planned the trip to Disneyland. See, this, this young girl, she had come from another prospective adoptive family who would take their biological children and leave her home when they went to Disneyland. Eventually, the adoption fell through, and the Jones family adopted her when she was eight years old. The Jones family was ready to plan a trip to Disneyland, and everyone was excited, except for the little girl. She began to act up and act out, and even though she was invited on the trip, she refused to believe that she would be going. Every time she got in trouble, she would say, I know you're not going to bring me now, are you? Eventually, they left on the trip, and they took her with them, and she calmed down once they left. And after the first day, Timothy asked her about the experience so far. 
And I love this. This is beautiful. In a moment that illustrates our relationship to our own Heavenly Father, she says, Daddy, I finally got to go to Disneyland. But it wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. We are found not because we've earned it. Not because we're special. We haven't done anything to earn our salvation. We haven't done anything to earn our earn grace from God. We are found because we belong to the Father. And he came and he looked for us. See, Jesus spoke these parables in front of both sinners and the devoutly religious. And in these stories, these three, he speaks to both of them how they can become lost. Whether they're lost in sin outside or they're lost here. We have all been lost we can all be found. But we have to be willing to have gospel conversations with non-believers. We have to be willing to have gospel conversations with our fellow believers. Because there's somebody that you know who believes in Jesus who is hurting. There is someone that you know who believes in Jesus whose faith is on the brink. And they need to hear good news. They need to hear you speak life into them. There's someone you know that has never encountered Jesus. Never. Not in a meaningful way. They need to know what Jesus has done for you and that he can do it for them. We have to have a mission catalyst. We have to be so moved by the desperate state of this world that it causes us to go out and move forward, not to retreat and not to hunker down. This is the great commandment, to love God and to love others like ourselves. We have to maintain an inertia of mission, and that's, that's the great commission. That's moving into all the world to make disciples, to reach the lost. I want to pray this morning. I want to pray because I look around here and I know all of these faces. Right now, in the sanctuary, I see, I see my church family. I know all of you. I know, I know your hearts. I want to pray that we catch the heart of the Father like never before. Not just an understanding of the heart of the Father, but an understanding and desire to pursue the heart of the Father. Pat, your testimony today could not have come a better Sunday, to go after God's heart for you. 
I'm going to pray here in a moment, and then I'm going to ask the worship team to, to lead us in a song for one last time. Father God, we want to thank you. We want to thank you that you have pursued us, that your heart is to see your children return to you, that your heart is that none should remain lost, that all should be found. Lord, that not only did you chase after us and come to us, but you have empowered us to run to others on your behalf. Lord, I pray that we would not sit still, that we would not stand here and wait, but we would go. We would go to those who don't know you. We would go to those who are our church family, our family in Christ, that we know need to be surrounded. Lord, I pray that you would create opportunities in our lives every day for a gospel conversation with someone and that we would be attuned to the Spirit and that we would pay attention when that time comes. Lord, I pray that we would seek out connections, that we wouldn't stand and wait, but we would be like Jesus and we would go to the sinners that we would go to those who the religious would shun and that we would share your love and your truth and the good news of your salvation with them. God, I pray that we would be intentional in the way we do everything, that everything we do is built around you, is built around your heart for us, your heart for others, that intentionality would rule the day in our lives. Father, I pray for strength for all of us. I pray for guidance and for your love and your peace to reign in our troubled hearts. That you would be our focus. Lord, that we would give ourselves to you and that through you, great things may be done for the kingdom. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. I hope this message blessed you. Our goal is to connect you to God's people, God's word, and his mission for your life. You can find out more about us at glfirst.org. Again, that's glfirst.org. Hope to see you next week. God bless.